Well, this morning we are at the tail end of a series that we began at uh, towards the beginning of this month called Relatable. We've been talking about this idea of Christianity being this uh, movement that has different motions and it's very relationally focused. And we've been we've been talking about these three ways that our, our love and our relationship should move as Christians, that we should have an upward relationship with God. We should have an outward relationship with our neighbors and we should be working on an inward relationship with our soul. That there is this idea that if we really want to love others well, if we want to connect with God well, we need to also do the work of understanding ourselves and cultivating who God has created us to be. And so we've, we've talked about that. We've talked about this idea that self-awareness done in a healthy way is actually a really great thing because rather than it being about self-absorption, it could help us be better at generously loving our neighbors and connecting with Christ. Last week we talked about this idea of how do we relate to others And uh, if you missed that message, you should go check it out. I personally think it was um, insightful and helpful. It was one that I really needed uh, myself. We're going to end this message series, though, talking about this this idea of how do we relate to the culture around us. Because to me, it's something that comes up in my mind often, and I hear conversations happening with it, too, with this idea of as the world continues to change and evolve over time, there's different ideas, there's different visions of the future. How do we as Christ followers, how do we navigate this thing? And so we're going to talk about it in a minute, but I want to ask you a question real quick. What's the worst sounds really mean? What is the gift, think about it in your head, that you got for either Christmas or your birthday that just kind of completely missed the mark of your excitement? I don't want to say the worst gift because that sounds really unkind, but let's just go there. Like, what's the worst gift you've ever received? And, 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 and take a second and think about it. Do you have it in your head right now? So, so for me, one of the, the worst kind of gift things, and I want to be really generous and charitable with this so no one, like, calls me out and be like, you're a jerk. Um, but I will never forget Christmas when I was about 11 years old. Uh, my grandpa, Jim, who was an amazing man, he was a pastor for many years, has an incredible story. Um, he, he fit in that generation of, of guys who honestly, like, were very, very, I mean, I am lost without my wife, but, like, I do know how to, like, do dishes, and I know how to cook, and I know how to do laundry. Um, I held out for quite a while on letting my wife know that I knew how to make a bed properly, um, but I let it go for a while. But it, you can think about that, right? Where they, they don't really know what to do with themselves. And so when my grandpa, uh, when, when my grandma passed away, um, super unexpectedly, my grandpa like had to start navigating, figuring out how to do some of these things. And uh, it didn't help too that my grandpa, God bless him, was one of the more frugal men I've ever met in my life. Uh, I can still remember we were in Florida, uh, visiting him and it was shortly after, uh, my grandma had passed and, uh, we went to rallies, you know, the, the, the culturally, um, you know, burger joint that is, you know, very expensive and, um, you know, things like that. It is delicious, though, let's be honest. Don't, no judgment. Um, but we went to rallies. And uh, mind you, this is like early 2000s. So we're talking like at that time, I got to think like a rally's cheeseburger is like 50 cents. Um, and my grandpa was like hardcore on the idea that like we were not allowed to get cheeseburgers because he had cheese at home and that was like 40 cents that we could save and Lord knows what we're going to do with it. Anyways, I'll never forget. It's the first Christmas after my grandma has passed. My grandpa definitely would fit in the type two, like every year at Christmas, like 
if we wanted to, we probably could have been like, hey, Grandpa, what's in this box? And obviously he would have zero idea. And so it's his first year to buy Christmas gifts for us. And God bless him. Uh, I never forget opening my box of gifts from him. And inside there, I found uh, one of these little kits where you got to take like yarn and, and, and you got to weave patterns together that looked like a bird, I think, uh, and things like that. Then I opened up the next thing that there was, was uh, it was a watercolor little like hanging thing. It was, I don't know how to describe it's not a It's not a dream catcher, but it's one of those things that you do like a watercolor and then you're supposed to like hang it in your window and then the sun would reflect Anyone know what I'm talking about? It was one of those. And then I feel like there also was maybe like a sweatshirt um, that like someone had painted on with like acrylic stuff of like a dog. Um, It was just one of those that as like an 11-year-old boy, it was like, what am I supposed to do with this? Now, my grandpa, I know, like he loved me so much. He had no idea what he was doing with getting gifts. And he had no idea probably what he was doing. He partially was probably like... My wife left a bunch of craft stuff. How do I get rid of this and how do I buy Christmas gifts? Just going to be honest. And that's cool. I, I respect the game. <laughs> but it's gotten me thinking about how the fact that sometimes I think people can have incredible intentions, can be super loving, and still just sometimes miss the mark in knowing how to love people in their life. This morning, I want to talk about this idea of relating to, to the culture around us. And, and I want to humbly submit and throw myself in this uh, category as well, that I sometimes wonder that if in our time today, in our world, that I wonder sometimes that we have this notion, and it's a reality too, of a, a conflicting idea of, of, of Christianity and the culture around us. But I also wonder sometimes if we as followers of Jesus are trying to give things to the culture around us that they're not asking for. That's not really helpful. It's not biblical. And honestly, it's just kind of weird. Have anyone seen the memes where it'll say stuff like, nobody, no, seriously, nobody. And, you know, and then it'll have like, you know, someone, someone talking on speakerphone in the uh, grocery store. Have you guys seen those memes? Like, I feel like there are times where I think we can fully confess. There are times where we try with great intentions to love our neighbors in ways that they have no desire for. I mean, let's be honest. They've gotten better over time, but like some of our Christian movies, like the acting has been a little woof. It's left great to imagination. Don't, don't throw stones at me this morning on that. It's gotten better, but there have been moments I think where we have thought if we just try harder on this and, and it's been times where I think maybe culture around us is saying, I'm not asking for that. I'm not looking for that. And maybe even at the core heartbeat of humanity, it's not really scratching the itch of what everyone really needs. That in great efforts, we're hoping that we're going to do things to help pe- lead people to Christ. And in reality, there may be harm that's happening because we're doing things that aren't helpful, that aren't really profitable or valuable. And so I want to talk this morning about this. I want to talk about what do we do with this. And I recognize that there's this tension, right? There's this tension when we read scripture because we read verses like John chapter 15. And in John chapter 15, uh, verses 18 through 19, Jesus says this. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it loves you as its own, as if it is you. 
Uh, You do not belong to this world, but I have chosen you out of this world. And that is why the world hates you. Now, we're not, usually we're not used to hearing hate in Jesus, but, but, but we see Jesus throwing out this idea that, hey, listen, if you live the life that I'm calling to you, yes, there's going to be tension. There's going to be conflict. You know what blows my mind? I'm just going to be real with you guys. It blows my mind how many people sometimes are shocked that there is tension between culture and Christianity when over and over and over again, Jesus tells you, don't fear, you will have troubles. The world will hate you. Like he goes on all of these things trying to like be like, no, 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 this is what's going to happen. And yet we still are like, why in the world does the world not like us? Or how come we're experiencing persecution? That's really minor, by the way. And Jesus promised us this. But so we, we have this tension here where, where, where the world is going to hate us. But then we also, as we talked about last week, we're called that the greatest commandment, right, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the, the commandment that's like this goes hand in hand with this, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when I read Scripture, I think there's issues because sometimes we approach Scripture and we can see things that we feel like are contradictions in Scripture, right? We read in one part of the Bible it says, don't do this, and the other part it's like, no, it's cool, or or, 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 or please do this, and the next part it says, please don't do that. Now, I think it's important in Scripture to talk about the reality that context is key. That if, that if we read the Old Testament, which is the story of God's creation of humanity, his, his trying to restore relationship with them leading up to Jesus, that there are, are things within that story that if we just read that and we never get to the New Testament, which is the story of Jesus' life, the early church, and, and kind of the future, that if we don't read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, of course we're going to experience contradictions. But more and more as I get older, the way I view things in Scripture where sometimes there's things like this, is I don't view it so much as contradiction as there's tension. That while I believe Jesus' words to be wholly true on this idea that if the world hates us, we have to keep in mind that it hates Him. That, that we should expect this opposition, that, that we shouldn't be like the world, that we shouldn't be uh, exactly like that. On this other end, we have this tension of loving our neighbor. And sometimes we have to figure out this this little dance, this tension of how do we love someone who we don't agree with? How do we have differing positions but having a posture of love towards one another? How do we figure out this balance of grace and truth? And I think the cool thing is that when you have tension, right, it kind of holds something together. It doesn't always have to snap. But so I want to talk this morning about how do we deal with this. But but, but may I throw out at the beginning of this message something um, that's more of a confession for me? And, and, and maybe some of you could agree with this, maybe not, is, is I fear that I oftentimes, when it comes to some of these tensions, I fear sometimes that I pick fights that Jesus never would. That there are things in my own life, in my background, each one of us are shaped by our family of origin, by the country we've been born in, by the time we live in, all of these things. And some of the things that shape us aren't inherently bad or good. They just are part of who we are. But sometimes they can try to supersede the message of the Jesus in his way. And there are times where we have to filter out preferences over actual things from Scripture. And so I think, though, there's times where I want to pick fights that Jesus wouldn't care about. And you know what's the really hard part? I fear that there are fights that Jesus has engaged with and he wants me to be a part of, and I don't. There are moments where I'm worried about things that don't really matter while there are injustices in our world that Jesus is crying for his followers to take care of. And so I think we have to wrestle with 
this tension as we think through all of this is to look at this idea of what are hills that are worth dying on and what are hills that aren't. I'll just show my cards. I, I sometimes fear that we, we, are, we are too um, too worried about dying on hills about things like, can you believe that they canceled the show that had prayer in it? And yet, in the same breath, we're not worried about poverty. We're not worried about uh, children growing up in homes where there's abuse. I mean, we, we say we are, but we're not really doing much about it. Now, I'm not saying the other thing isn't important, that there's not injustice, but I fear sometimes that, 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 that if we could meet with the New Testament early church, that if Jesus was to sit with us, would he be like, yeah, man, like, I think you're missing the point. I think this is a hill that you're trying to die on, and you're missing this mountain that really matters. And so we have to approach this. So how do we relate to the culture around us in a loving, gracious, but firm, convicted, truthful matter? I think the first thing we start with is this, that we understand our identity and our call to holiness. It starts with this. We understand our identity and our call to holiness. Let's start first with this idea of our identity. Um, Peter who was one of Jesus' disciples, one of his kind of right-hand men, he wrote uh, in, in one of his letters in First Peter, he just said this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When we start to see ourselves through the context of that, that we are children of God, that we are a chosen people. And this isn't, this isn't talking about every individual like you're in and you're out. This is talking about this idea that God chose that he would engage humanity, all people, and he would bring them into relationship. That once we join into this relationship, we, we take on that mantle of chosen people. We take on that mantle of a royal priesthood, which for us, we don't really, we don't like royalty, right? Because, you know. We beat the British. Take that, King George. Um, so that's not really a cool thing for us to think about. Um, same with priesthood. It's interesting. More and more statistically, people don't trust. They have baggage with religious leaders, priests, things like that. But, but when Peter is writing this, he's basically talking about, like, do you not realize that you are, one, supposed to be incredibly holy, and two, like, you're royalty. You're the cat's meow. Like, do you not realize that? You're God's special possession. Anyone can figure that part out. You see, when we start to understand our identity, and in particular we understand this idea that we once too were in darkness, but now we've been brought to light, that we too once hadn't experienced the mercy, but now we've experienced it, it helps give us this identity to love our neighbors around us and even engage culture who doesn't see Jesus and doesn't see him with the same value and authority that we as followers of Christ do. But when we can live into our own identity, we can understand that we can live out these things even when there's tension. Even when it feels like the rest of the world is going one way, we have this opportunity where when we know our identity, we can say, listen, I know everyone's going that way, but I've been called to go this way. It's kind of like when your friends are telling you you got to go this way, but your parents told you you went that way. Because you know, like, if you ain't going that way, like, you're going to be in trouble with mom and dad, right? Now, we don't have to think about being in trouble with Jesus, per se. Um, but I think there's this important there's importance that we understand our identity in Christ because when we do, that is going to be the staying power for us when things are difficult. But then there's a second thing, this idea of a call to holiness. Holiness is a word that we don't use often anymore because I think there can be baggage, right? Over time, I think there's certain words that, that because of the time, the culture, because of um, 
false misconceptions, what ends up happening is, is words that once were great can be uh, taken to a different way. So I'd say today, most people, when they hear the word holiness, they think of someone being holier than thou, right? They think of someone who is uppity, who is probably judgmental, maybe even hypocritical. And so we don't like that word. But holiness really just means set apart. And if we go back to the Old Testament, like in the book of Leviticus, we're told this. This is, this is from the Lord. Uh, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. He's basically saying, in the midst of every other God in this world, in every other teaching, I am holy, I am set apart, I am above them. And in the same way, he's calling his people to say, not that you're above everyone else, but this idea that you too should be holy. You see, in the Old Testament, we, we, we continually see that God gave different laws and commandments with this idea that his people would be holy and set apart. Most of the things, it wasn't sort of, sort of this thing like, just do this because uh, I, I want you to do, because I think it'll be weird and see if you'll do it, like circumcision, because woof. Um, but it's this idea of in a, in a world where everyone kind of looks the same, how could we be different? How could we be distinct? In the, in the Old Testament, God's plan in a lot of ways really was that if I set these people apart and they begin to live under my will and my way, people might see the goodness of me, and be drawn back into relationship with me. And so there's this idea that if we as followers of Jesus can take on this mantle of this idea that we have been, we've been called to be set apart and different. And that's hard, right? Human nature, like, I mean, it's, it's no wonder why, like, Jesus oftentimes talks about how he is the good shepherd and we're his sheep. Because sheep are not necessarily the most, like, smart animals in the world. You know, they're a herd mentality. They tend to follow. They tend to do these things. And most of us, we don't really like to stand out. Most of us don't like to feel like the odd person out. And holiness sometimes leads to awkward conversations. I've in recent years had some really interesting conversations with friends and peers in which they have pretty much said, hey, Aaron, I think some of the views that you have on um, sexuality, on uh, marriage on different topics like I think you're in the wrong and I think I think you just need to be like more informed and enlightened by things and those are uncomfortable conversations but in the same way for me I, I feel this call to holiness to live set apart um, based off what I find in God's word and what I see in the life and teaching of Jesus and so it's not something where I have to be a jerk it's not where I have to feel superior but there is something where I can just say uh, I can hold to those convictions. Now, we'll talk about in a minute that doesn't give me the right to be a jerk or be unloving or uh, to not engage with people. But I think there's something that's okay about this idea that if we're not set apart, if we look the exact same as everyone else in culture, honestly, it loses the power of the gospel. Because gospel is all about transformation. And if 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 we say we are followers of Christ and there's zero transformation in our life, what do people look at? They then do just see a group of people who have all chosen to follow a set of rules that honestly then mean nothing. And so might I throw this at you, that being holy isn't about being good, but rather it's about pointing others to God who is good. That we don't just try to be holy and set apart so we can be, feel really great about ourselves, we can feel superior, but we do it as a means to point others to Christ. Now, again, in the Old Testament, there was a lot more of very obvious physical um, 
things that people could see. In many ways today, our holiness is more about an internal thing. But I think it can bleed out into other things. I think if we are called to have relationships that look different than the rest of the world, that's going to give us an opportunity to point people to this God. That if, if, if the way that we spend our money, we spend our time, the way that we uh, love both our, our neighbors and our family and also our enemies, that it's going to point people to a God who is different. It's going to point at them to the God who is the true one and only God. We, uh, we had a parent-child dedication last week. It was one of many, and I already feel like we're going to have like 10 more uh, coming up in the next month or so, which is fun. Um, maybe you didn't know this. Every single kid uh, gets one of these as a gift. And, and what they are is it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I just got to tell you, one of my favorite things about this uh, is how many parents who end up reading this with their children who, like, come back to me and, like, man, is it weird if, like, I read this as my Bible right now? And I'm like, listen, if it works for you, then do it. But they write it in a really cool way. And so I was reading I was reading some God stories to my uh, three-and-a-half-year-old Gideon uh, the other night, and, and this jumped off the page at me that I hadn't seen in a while. And I loved the way that it was, it was explaining the Bible at the forefront. And, and this, is, this is what it said. The quote's going to be up on the screen. It just said this. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules. I think a lot of people would say they feel that way, right? When, when people talk about Scripture uh, who, who aren't followers of Jesus, they probably think it's just a rule book that is uh, making you have to live a weird life and be unloving to people. But it just says this. Uh, some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. And the Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show us how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. I love that. I mean, it bottles up this idea that, 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 that so often we make everything about ourselves. And we make it everything about checking lists and doing certain things right and wrong. And the reality is so much of holiness, which, which is related to reading Scripture and understanding how we should live, isn't so much just about this behavior modification, but it's about a heart transformation. In Romans, the Apostle Paul wrote in chapter 12, he just said this. He said, do not, be, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I really believe that that is a verse that we have to continually go back in our lives and ask the question, are we being conformed by the patterns of this world? Or are we being transformed by Jesus? Are we falling into patterns that are happening in our world? Have we made excuses that we say that's just the way it is? You know, I fear sometimes that we have. I fear there have been moments where we have bought into different things that are cultural, like boys will be boys. Or we've bought into things like, well, they only get to do this for this certain age. Or we've bought into some of these concepts of, well, I don't want to force them to do this. Or I don't want them, I want them to choose all of these things. And I, I fear what ends up happening is we are so okay and want everyone to individually choose everything, which, let me just say this, at the end of the day, everyone is going to choose how they want to live at some point. But I fear at times that we allow ourselves to be formed more by the culture around us than the truth that we find in Scripture. That we oftentimes allow uh, this idea of just asking other people in our life for advice 
more than we seek God in prayer. And so we have to begin to getting back to this place of how can we be transformed as a people? Because once we're transformed as a people, that is then when we can begin to see culture, we can, we can see schools, we can see marriages, we can see neighborhoods, we can see workplaces transformed. And it's not about this idea of, of Christianity getting to be in this place of the power seat. Because actually, throughout history, what we tend to see is that the church is always the most powerful when it has the least power in that culture. It's, it's fascinating. This morning I was reading, and I'm really interested to watch this documentary, but they're talking right now that the fastest growing uh, church in the entire world right now is in Iran. Now, Iran is not a place that I'd think like, yes, that is where the church is growing. And what's phenomenally interesting is it's not being led by uh, people that you think of. It's primarily been women. It's been a, uh, uh, an ex-drug addict. It's been a guy who is a comedian. And, and so it's so interesting, though, how we realize that in this place where we would think, like, who in their right mind would do that? Because there's so much persecution. There's zero power in this that they find the power in God alone. They don't find the power in getting to a place of privilege or power or position, but they just find that the gospel will continue to advance regardless of those things. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong for Christianity or Christians to be in places of power. Don't hear me on that. But I think it can become an idol for us. That we just think, like, if we could just get back to this place where, 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 where everyone thought the same way. And yet we see the issue that can become is then we lose out the transforming power of the gospel. And we're far more focused on just behavior, on just following a book of rules and lists. Now, we've been talking a little bit, about, little bit in uh, this series about this thing called the Enneagram. The Enneagram is a personality um, typing system tool, um, whether it be sort of like Myers-Briggs or the DISC or, or any other thing like that. And what's interesting, though, about the Enneagram is that it talks about this idea of, of our core motivations, our fears, and things like that. Now, how many, how many of you guys have been, been, been kind of tracking with the Enneagram and maybe even think you found your number? Anyone? Awesome. And so uh, one thing that's interesting that I learned recently is that um, if, if you open up, they, they have them in the journals, but uh, on page doo, 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 on page two, wow, you know, I went really deep in there. They have this thing that they call the triads, and, 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 and they, they, they have different numbers that fit in different areas where one of them is about the thinking center, one is more about kind of the gut or the instinctive, and the other is about a feeling center, that some of us... Uh, tend to be more um, led and we make decisions and we interact in the world um, based off a kind of a gut instinct. For some of us, it's very logical. It's very uh, analytical. For some of us, it's very based on our emotions, not saying anyone is right or wrong. It's just a reality. Now, one of the things I learned uh, as I've been kind of studying and I find things like this interesting is there's also this thing that they sometimes call stances, and that, that categorizing into the groups and numbers, they have three different stances. So um, if you are a three, seven, or eight, you would fit in what they call the aggressive stance. Uh, in, if you're a type one, two, or six, you would fit in what they might call the compliant uh, stance. And if you're a four, five, or nine, you might fit in what they would call the withdrawing stance. Now, a stance is just this. It's your natural bent towards kind of the world that is around you. It's, it's how you may naturally first have a posture in terms of um, how you interact in um, relationships, conflicts, issues that come in your life. So, so for the aggressive stance, for example, it tends to be moving against things. Uh, it's the takes action. It's the, the, the type that when they see injustice, they're probably the most likely to say something or start a movement. 
The, the, the compliance stance is more about moving towards others to meet their needs. And it's more about this idea of kind of a, a uh, group-led thing, that, it, that if everyone thinks this is the best way to go or if this is the right way that we've always said we're doing it, this is how we're going to be doing it. And then the withdrawing stance is it moves away from the things. It's usually like, ooh, that's, that's kind of um, stressful. I don't want to deal with some of that. And so maybe my best way is to just sort of withdraw from some of these issues. Now, each has its own strength and weakness. And I think it's important to recognize, uh, and this may help you figure out what your number is as well, uh, but I think each one is important to realize as a Christ follower has its blessing and its burden in how we relate to culture. You see, the, the, the assertive or the aggressive stance is great because it will see moments where there are injustices and it will speak up for them, and it oftentimes will lead towards things. The issue can become, though, if you are one of these and you make an issue out of something that Jesus probably wouldn't make an issue out of, that's not a great thing. You can become really unloving. You can detract people from uh, being a follower of Jesus because they see you making a, a mountain out of a molehill. But it's important that if that is your stance, that you have to use it for the good of the kingdom of God. If you're in more of the compliance stance and you move towards other others, you have this great opportunity where sometimes you can be a unifier of people. You can have an opportunity to um, take, take different groups who are on different opposing things and bring them together to try to figure out ways to do good. But the issue could also become is that you could run into this idea of giving up, that there could be fights that God is calling you to fight and you back out of it. In the same way, the withdrawing stance, the gift could be that at moments you understand how to choose your battles, that there are times where it's not worth it and it's not smart. Do you know in conflict that, 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 that withdrawing or avoiding a conflict isn't always wrong? Sometimes it actually is the right and the healthy mode of conflict resolution. You see that the conflict's coming and you say, this isn't worth it, this isn't good, I'm out. And that's okay. It's not okay if it's always, but that's the other issue. The withdrawing stance can be bad, too, because there can be moments where we say, uh, man, this is, I bet most monks probably had the withdrawing stance where it's like, the world looks really crazy, it's really bad, I'm just going to like go over here and make my commune and uh, peace out. And the issue can become, though, is how do we love our neighbors if we don't actually engage with our neighbors? How do we fulfill the great commission of making disciples of all nations if we're too afraid to actually interact with people who are different than us? We have to find this balance. So here's what we have to think about. We have to think about our positions and our postures. Now let's, let's break that down, what those mean, what I mean by that. A, a position is uh, a, a belief or a topic on, uh, a belief about a topic or a subject, okay? So, so a position could be, I believe this about marriage. I believe this about how we should deal with poverty. I believe this about war and violence. That's your position. It's your face value. It's, it's, if, if you're a follower of Christ, hopefully it means, based off what I've read in Scripture, this is what I believe about this certain subject. Our posture, on the other hand, uh, is, is more about how do I engage, how do I interact with people? And, and, and we've all seen this, right? When, when you have a conversation with someone, you can understand sometimes their body language and their posture, right? I, I, I can remember moments where I've had tense conversations with people. Uh, when we did upward basketball here before, uh, I remember having a really interesting, not so fun conversation um, with a coach who didn't go to our church, uh, who was a little bit more uh, intense in the game. 
and uh, was, uh, you know, trying to, you know, make sure he had, like, the latest, greatest uh, basketball team for the kindergarten age. And uh, they had they had out-of-bounds plays. Like, all they were supposed to, anyways. Um, but I can remember, we had a conversation, and I asked him to sit down, and he never sit, sat down. And there was just, you could see in his posture that he was ready to fight. On other hands, we see sometimes people in the midst of a tense conversation can be relaxed. And it kind of relaxes you, right? Have you ever have you ever realized that? You know, people oftentimes match body language. Did you know that? So if if, if you come in tense, people are going to kind of tense up too. If you're more relaxed and withdrawn, they're gonna they're gonna be a little bit more relaxed too. But our, our posture is really about how do we relate to our neighbor? How do we interact with them despite our positions on it? Now, here's what I what I think is it can become the issue, the danger, is that I believe that the right position with the wrong posture negates the good position. That you could have the the, the perfect theology uh, understanding of different positions, but man, if you are not loving to your neighbor, it doesn't matter at all. On the other end, you could have the right, loving, welcoming, accepting posture in the wrong position, and that can be incredibly dangerous. Because on the other end, there can become this fear of where we, 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 we love people outwardly, but we don't love them enough to really be honest with them about truth. Now, by no means does that mean that instantaneously we just need to like have a loving posture where we're like, by the way, I super love you. You're living in sin, and I'm worried that you're headed to a life of destruction. Um, maybe not the first conversation we ever have with a person. Um, you know, it's sort of like I used to have a math teacher who was really great at keeping like a smiling face, but she'd say things like, you're failing and you're doing really bad. I'm not very happy of what you've been doing. And you kind of leave where you're like, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel right now. You were very positive and you were smiling at me, but the content was not there. But I think that's where we have to just understand this idea that both your position and your posture matters. That if we want to be cooking with gas, we have to get to a place where we have positions that are based on Scripture, not based off feelings, not based on the world around us, but based off what we find deeply studying Scripture in its context and its original languages and all of those things. And we recognize what positions really matter, but we also have a posture that is loving and welcoming to people who are different than us, who hold differing uh, positions. By no means do I think we are called uh, to bow towards what society is saying about things. But I also fear, like how it talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, the famous verse that you hear at every wedding, uh, this idea of, you know, love is patient, love is kind. Uh, you know, in that verse, it also talks about this idea of um, I, could, I could prophesy in all the great ways. I could give so much money. I could do all of these things. But if I don't have love, I'm nothing. I'm like a resounding gong, just annoying and unhelpful. And I think when, when, we, when we live a, a lifestyle sometimes with, with, with either of those things wrong, we're kind of like an annoying gong in culture, where, again, it's the nobody, nobody, and then just bow, bow, bow. That we have to get to this place where we do both. Here's the last thing that we have to figure out. We have to figure out ways to do good and bring heaven to earth. We have to figure out ways to do good and bring heaven to earth. Jesus, uh, when he taught us to pray, he prayed this idea that, that earth would become more like heaven. And, and, and I fear that sometimes um, we, we, we have to realize that even though we're told that our citizenship is in heaven, we have to live like we are uh, an a Old Testament person in exile. 
You know, you find at certain points in Scripture in the Old Testament where you see people like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. You see people like in, in Jeremiah where, where they're actually told, listen, this exile, you've been taken from your land, you're put in this foreign land, it's not great. But um, there's actually this verse where it talks about how the people I think are hoping God is going to say, and I'm going to take you back to your land soon and very soon. And they're actually told, hey, here's the thing. You're going to be in exile and you're going to be here for a long time. For generations. And so quit living in this in-between world. Build homes. Plant gardens. Make the community around you better. See, we as followers of Jesus can't choose to peace out and say, listen, my home is in heaven, so I'm not doing anything here. We can't live in this weird in-between place that, yes, we live with the mindset that, yes, our home isn't ultimately here. Our citizenship isn't ultimately here. But we must do good and work on bringing heaven to earth so people will see the goodness of God. You know, I think sometimes the issue can become that we are too focused on uh, not always loving people in a great way. We, we're almost afraid that if we, if we love on people who are different than us, that people are going to think differently uh, about us. Reggie Joyner, who... Um, does it? We, we use orange curriculum around here for kids and stuff like that. And he had this quote that I think is just phenomenal. He says this, uh, people will never believe you love them if they feel you don't like them. People will never believe that you love them if they feel like you don't like them. And I think in some ways we do that unconsciously. We don't end up sometimes adding value to the community around us. And so there's moments where people feel like there is a tension between us and them that there is this place where we're not really invested. So my hope and my prayer is that we would be doing good in our community, in our world. And that it wouldn't be so we can go, we're great. It wouldn't be so we can, you know, check something off a list that we find in Scripture. But it would be so that way others would be drawn into a relationship with Jesus. That they would see that our hearts have been transformed, that, they, that, that we would bring value. Most of all, as Jesus said in the Gospel of John chapter 13, He said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Friends, that's my hope. Is at the end of the day, regardless of our positions, regardless of even sometimes our posture, that people would interact with followers of Jesus and they would just experience love. Regardless of whether or not they agree with us on stuff, regardless of even if they're in tension with us, even if it feels like we are budding heads and that they are against us. I said it last week, and I really it's something that God has been making me chew on over and over again. That, that, that maybe the most important thing that in this time and in this culture that we could get as followers of Jesus to show the world that the truth and the power of the gospel would be to love our enemies. To interact with people different than us and that even when, even when it feels like we're being personally attacked, even when it feels like we're losing power, even when it feels like the, 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 there's, there's, there's parts of, uh, of things that are just going to hell in a handbasket, that we continue to show up in love anyway. That we continue to invite people to sit at the table. That we continue to interact with them graciously. Because we're reminded that we too once were in darkness that we too once were in desperate need of mercy and had no hope. We have the hope of Christ.
we have the one thing that no one else can give. So I hope in my prayer is that as we engage our culture and our world around us, that we do live holy, we live set apart, but I pray that we're gracious. And I pray that the way that we live, people don't just see positions, but they just see love. Would you guys stand and join me in prayer as we're going to respond with one last song. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for, God, this time to pause in the midst of our life. God, and just to be reminded of your goodness. God, many of us, when we talk about this idea of being in darkness and being brought into light, maybe this brings out memories and moments for us when we're at our darkest place and how you reached out and you brought us into your light. God, I pray that we can have that mentality with the culture around us. That God, in the same way that as your son Jesus hung on the cross and he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. God, that we could have that same heart posture out to our neighbors, out to our friends, our family, our enemies, people who look, think, and act differently than us. God, would we use the natural wiring that we have, God, to advance the kingdom. And God, in the places where it's more difficult for us, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to transform our lives to make us better in that area. God, I pray that this morning, that if there might be someone this morning, God, who, God, maybe they've never interacted in in a relationship with your son, Jesus. Or God, maybe they've walked away. God, would they know this morning that, God, you are a God who promises in Scripture that you are a God who forgives and you are a God who pursues. And so, God, I pray this morning that they would realize that, God, no matter what's going on in their life, that, God, they can have the confidence to approach you as a son, as a daughter. And say, Abba, Papa, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the things that I've done intentionally and unintentionally. I'm sorry for the brokenness and the chaos that I've produced. I'm sorry for the way that I've walked away from you and your will and your ways. Would they know that they can turn, they can repent, and they can come back to you? God, I pray this morning that they would just know that all they have to do is confess those sins and just ask you to be the Lord of their life. And they just have to ask and seek this idea that they want to follow Jesus in his way. God, I pray that this morning maybe someone's life has changed. God, as we close with this song and we're reminded that, God, God, you call us to places that are difficult. God, you call us out onto water. God, you call us into the darkness to be the light. God, I pray that this morning as we sing, God, we would hear just one voice and it would be from you. God, whatever it is you want to tell us this morning. Maybe for some of us, we just need to hear that we are a son or we are a daughter. Maybe for some of you, you need to hear just this fact that it's going to be okay. Maybe for some of you need need to hear that it's time to stop withholding love from that certain person. Whatever it is, would you speak to us this morning, God? Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.